beyond the beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of room in your window, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featured commentary by pro-Trump Republican Kent Gray, anti-Trump Republican David Cohen, economist from DePaul University Mike Miller, and in our second hour, Democrat Ray Lopez, reporter Bill Nygut from Georgia Public Radio and NPR, and Republican commentator Chris Roebling. Our program tonight coming to you from our own base at WCGO Radio. That's in beautiful Evanston, Illinois. Nice to have you with us. Uh, we've got a great two hours of discussion for you uh, this evening. I want to begin by saying that, uh, you know, we have frequently discussed on this program over the last several months the enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden amongst Democrats and some independents. Well, tonight in our first hour, we're going to be talking about Republican enthusiasm, and we're going to find out uh, how enthusiastic uh, Republicans are about their choice comes November. And uh, we begin with uh, three uh, identified uh, Republicans, and uh, they are, uh, we welcome uh, Kent Gray, who is a pro-Trump Republican, joins us from downstate uh, Illinois. And uh, Mike Miller is a uh, economist and also a Republican from DePaul University. And David Cohen is with us. He is uh, on furlough from uh, the Union League Club of Chicago and for many years was a congressional staffer on the staff of John Edward Porter, who is a longtime moderate Republican from the North Shore of Chicago. So we welcome you all. David Cohen, I'm going to begin with you because you have told me you are not going to vote for Donald Trump. Why? Well, uh, I didn't vote for him in 2016, and I don't plan to vote for him this fall because, uh, from my point of view, he has abandoned every pillar and every value for which the Republican Party once stood. Um, I'm not voting for Donald Trump because I feel that he has squandered his opportunity to show us uh, the kind of leadership that can be achieved and that is possible with truly conservative values uh, rather than self-serving ones. I think but you don't but you don't say you don't say yet that you're a democrat. How come you haven't made the complete switch? Well, because I I've argued for many years Donald Trump is not a republican. Not voting for Donald Trump, that's not if you don't vote for Donald Trump, that doesn't mean you don't favor republican policies and philosophy. It means you see you don't see in him the qualities that we need in a leader to be the standard bearer of that party or any other party. Mike he Miller, is, you, is, I, want to, I want to bring to bring Mike Miller into the conversation. He is an economist from DePaul University. Longtime listeners and viewers of this program will know that uh, four years ago you were not a, a, a big fan of uh, Donald Trump. So you have said on the air that you did not vote for him, but you have become a fan. Why? I uh, I chase my uh, change on what he's actually done. He has picked judges, uh, as he said he would, that uh, he had told us up front. And the judges, the judges' choices, I think, have been excellent. He has fought against the swamp, which I think is excellent. He has reduced regulations. He has put America first, which I like very much. And I also have to, I, I always weigh things being an economist. I weigh things, costs and benefits. And we have to think of the alternative. Uh, Hillary Clinton, I am so glad that she is not president. I don't think it could have been the end of the world, in a sense, had she won. I'm not so sure that that's true with Joe Biden and what will become of the country. 
if the Marxists and the uh, the radicals that try, are trying to get power mm. are able to okay. manipulate him. And I want to so go to I, I want I want to go to Kent Gray. Where we're going to come back to all of these sure. issues, but I do want to go to Kent Gray. Uh, Kent Gray, you saw Donald Trump as a winner a long time ago in 2016. You're still a Trump supporter. Uh, are you concerned? A little different question to you. Are you uh, concerned when you hear David, uh, a Republican, uh, still not sold on what uh, Donald Trump is selling? No, I think there are a, there are a fair amount of Republicans who do not still trust Donald Trump. But I think over the last four years, there have been more and more Republicans uh, that have seen what his final policy outcomes were and were as surprised, frankly, as I was. I did not expect him to get this many great things done from a conservative Republican standpoint. And so his process and progress on corporate tax reform, immigration and border security, uh, slowing down the administrative state, uh, the judges. I mean, these are things that we have long wanted. Now, I will tell you, and I've worked for him for many years now, uh, I enjoy Donald Trump, but sometimes he can be a little exhausting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he doesn't, I was talking to a friend of mine today, he doesn't play the role that Ronald Reagan did of the ideal president as a character. And I think that causes some division in the country. But if you look past the tweets and you're a conservative Republican, he is getting real things done that are on your wish list. Last, well, Bruce, last, it, it, week, last week he said uh, that uh, one of the concerns he had is that too many people liked Dr. Fauci, too many people liked Dr. Burks, but um, he said, I just don't think people like me personally. It's the personality. Do you agree with that? And is there any way to change a personality with a little over 90 days to go, Mike? No, there's no way to change. He's, he's 70 some years old. He's not going to change. And, and in some sense, I admire his, his straight. We know exactly who he is. There's, there's no fake stuff there. Everybody talked about, for example, Barack Obama, how cool he was. No, he was cold. He was cold. He, and I, I think a lot of people hide uh, they have a but a lot of people a lot of people like that coldness uh, Mike well you know I'll, that I'll, I mean uh, you don't uh, I, may I like, not like I it, like but. genuine people I like people who are genuine who don't try to snow me I know exactly who Donald Trump is he's an imperfect person and so am I well he, what I judge him by are the policies he comes up David with. Cohen well I was gonna say I I'm I'm surprised to hear Kent uh, laud uh, President Trump's leadership as as a conservative or, or 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 mike for that matter for conservative principles you know the, the congressman i worked for uh, used to say that republicans across this nation come from a a spectrum within the republican ideology but there are certain core values core pillars of the party you might say that all republicans would 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 share at the top of the list is fiscal conservatism uh followed by strong national defense free trade and free enterprise and limited government and respect for the Constitution. On virtually every one of those measures, this president has failed to provide that leadership and to stand up for those principles. Fiscal conservatism, mm -hmm. we have a tax bill that the president helped engineer passage of. While you may argue for some of its meritorious effects, it has exploded the national debt and the national deficits, and it was enacted at a time of growth, not at a time of slowing in the economy. And by the way, speaking of the uh, he's not a Ronald Reagan type Republican, many of our viewers and listeners may have noted that the Reagan estate, the estate of Ronald Wilson Reagan, just contacted the Trump administration and the campaign to ask them to please 
cease and desist using the late president's image and invoking his name in the campaign. The, the Reagan family itself has rejected <coughs> the way that this, this president has conducted himself in office. That ought to what, say something to when, the legions of Republicans who admire Ronald Reagan. When we come well, back, I want to get, I wanna get, I wanna get like everybody's Reagan, response. Yeah. So we do have to break down. I want to get everybody's response. And again, uh, because we're doing this on Zoom, it's it's a little difficult to, to, to keep the flow of conversation going like the old days when we were around the table, but we do our best with this new technology. 1-800-723-8029. We've got some callers on the line. We'll bring them into the conversation. If you are a Republican, give us a call. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back, uh, Pam uh, Whitson calls, and David, she has a question for you. She wants to, she said, I'll believe what you said about the Reagan family if Mike Reagan was the one who made that comment. Do you know who actually made that comment, uh, David? You're, you're, at, you're asking David, me who made yes. I, I, I'm telling you, there was a, there was a written, written letter, not, not a comment. There was a letter sent to the president's campaign and the administration from the Reagan estate okay, asking but, that the the Trump campaign cease and desist using okay. the president's likeness image uh, or recordings in their campaign materials. Okay. It wasn't a comment. It was a formal cease and desist okay. request. All right, but it wasn't necessarily signed by a Reagan. This, this caller wanted to know whether Mike Reagan was the one that said it, a talk show host. You don't know that. That doesn't appear to no, be no, the answer. No, no, it was okay. not a comment. It was a... It was a legal transmission okay. from but this, this person. The, this person wanted to know whether someone whose last name was Reagan signed it, and the answer that you have is really no. You don't know that. I don't know. No. Okay, good. Let's go to Rodney, Bruce, who's listening to. Go quick, ahead, uh, Ken. Gray. I, I think it was the Reagan Foundation that made that Reagan that Foundation, argument, okay. the estate. Yeah. I think it was the head of it who is, and he's a known kind of uh, left moderate type individual who's kind of a rhino. So, I mean, there's some background in there. And obviously, Ron and Patty Reagan were never big supporters of even their dad. Are you, uh, so, Michael's? I want to go. I want to go back to my first question to you, Ken. Is are, are you surprised? And and again, we have now have this Lincoln Project. There's another group called Republicans, uh, Republican Voters Against Trump, which is another organization. Uh, the Lincoln Project is going to spend sixteen million dollars on television. I saw one of their spots uh, this morning on ABC. Um, are you worried about the the, the level of uh, uh, of organization against uh, Donald Trump this time? Well, I know most of those guys that are in the Lincoln Project. I uh, worked with them on previous campaigns because I come from establishment Republicanism, and they were anti-Trump four years ago. They were anti-Trump five years ago. 
and they'll be anti-Trump for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. I think what's going to come out with those guys is they might spend 16 million on TV, but they're going to pocket 20 million amongst themselves because they're all basically political ad makers, hacks, communications professionals mm -hmm. who kind of got left out of the Trump uh, train. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, it's too bad for them. Some, some of us jumped on and got involved. They didn't and yep. they don't like it. Let's go to uh, Mike uh, Miller, because, Mike, uh, last week uh, there was some bad economic news. The second quarter finished down 9.5%, and the projection is that uh, they're going to miss the mark uh, annually this year, uh, down almost 33%. Uh, as an economist, your reaction to that bleak news? Oh, that was, uh, there was no surprise. Uh, this is the oddest economic period in my 40 years being an economist. Uh, the decline is uh, was fully expected. What's funny is that, the, I shouldn't say funny, in the first quarter, the economy grew through all of uh, January, all of February, and the first two weeks of March. Mm -hmm. The decline of 5% in GDP that first quarter all occurred in the last two weeks of March. The decline in GDP we saw this time is predominantly through um, April and May, but starting in June, the economy started to turn around. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was, a, you know, it's a measurement question. How much did the economy fall compared to the quarter before? And that was the nine and a half percent. Now, the, the other number you give is it asks the question, were the economy to continue to decline the same way it did in the second quarter for a full year? How far would it fall? It would fall 32 percent. Now, the reason we don't think that's going to have anything going forward is because the economy has already begun to rebound. Employment is rising. The uh, unemployment is falling. Industrial production is rising. Sales are rising. So we're pretty sure that the third quarter compared to the second quarter will be a, a rebound. We just don't know by how much. Does everyone uh, on the air with us right now agree that the likelihood of the Republicans retaining control of the Senate is at this moment bleak? Do you agree with that, Kent? No, I don't think it's bleak. Okay. I think in the end, um, you already see the battleground state numbers closing to within about five points between Biden and Trump. Uh, this is going to be a horse race all the way to the end of November. And there's going to be twists and turns in this story that none of us can even figure out at this point. Uh, because every three days, something, something that only happens every 20 or 30 years happens every week in this campaign. Uh, and a lot of crazy things are going to go on. Are you Biden worried? has a lot of vulnerability. Trump has a lot of vulnerability. This VP search is vulnerability for Biden. It's going to be crazy. Uh, would you acknowledge, though, that whenever the president seems to have a few good days, as he did maybe 10 days ago, those good days when it looks like he may be back on track, back on script, and I don't mean, you know, all teleprompter. I mean, he, he seems to be uh, a little calmer, a little more focused in his communication that uh, a tweet will change the dynamic instantly and uh, you'll spiral down uh, for maybe three or four major news cycles and, and, and take everybody off track. I want to get, as someone who's working in the field on this, uh, how badly does that frustrate you? Uh, it does frustrate me. I mean, he, sometimes I think things are going well and he does throw something, pull the pin and throw the grenade and you never know what's going to happen. That does frustrate me. But that is him. And that is why he won four years ago. Mm -hmm. It's why Romney didn't win eight years ago. It's why McCain didn't win uh, 12 years ago. Because, And I worked for the, all three of those guys. 
The problem is nobody likes boring. Everybody watches Trump because you never know what's going to happen next. And I know that's, you know, people like Dave get a little unhappy because it just doesn't seem presidential in the Eisenhower, Reagan, you know, right. uh, tradition or H.W. Bush. But the reality is that this gets the attention in these days. And so when he does that, it is problematic, but it also is a good thing for him in other ways. There was a good story a couple of days ago, maybe four days ago, that talked about the fact if Trump can win 60 percent of the days leading between now and Election Day, he'll probably win because he doesn't need to win this this vote against Biden. He needs to get within about three points uh, in the polls. And that's probably enough to win the electoral vote. Uh, well, can, David, if, I want to go ahead, David. The, the dissatisfaction that, that I have and that the uh, the uh, Lincoln Republicans and, and, and others have, it's not with the president's uh, uh, st- his ideology. It's it's that he has not followed the traditional the tradition of rational, thoughtful, uh, intelligent governance that has been the hallmark of presidents on both sides of the aisle. We're seeing here someone who doesn't respect the Constitution and the way that it dictates that our government operate. Um, let me ask you a little question here. Uh, you know, you're talking about constitutional government. That's what's upsetting Republicans like me is the fact that we respect the Constitution and the incumbent in the Oval Office does not. Uh, I'm at, I'm, let me ask you a little trivia question. Who was it who recently called for the immediate uh, uh, resumption of impeachment action against the president? And I'll give you a hint. It wasn't Some guy the, from the Federalist Society, I know. The co-founder but we've also of the put in 200 plus judges that he loved. The the co-founder of the Federalist Society, that bastion of liberal thought, right? Right. They're they're calling for the president's impeachment based upon his assertion that he can somehow move or delay the vote. Oh, I mean, these are these are not. He just says stuff. Yes. Go ahead, Mike Mike, Mike Miller. Get everybody right. Yeah, but the the fact the president of the United States, the fact that the president of the United States would not understand that he does not have the unilateral power, that this is not going to happen. I mean, this these are not the actions of someone who respects constitutional government. Does does an example, is this an example, though, uh, David, uh, uh, contrary to that, does this represent someone who clearly knows in a 24-hour news cycle, he can say say something and have everybody go off half-cocked in a different direction for three or four days when there may be some bad news out there like uh, like like a drop in the uh, in the projected uh, uh, annual deficit he knows how to change the subject and that's that's something that yeah. Republicans in the past have never been able to do and from, a little I, experience, know, from a little experience from a little experience guys Republican, he keeps a David David and then we're going to go to uh, 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 Scott go ahead Kent, rather, if, if the if the Republican Party wants to become the party of showmanship and tactics and and put governance and leadership aside, then I guess that Donald Trump is your guy. Um, this is someone who's not interested in the Republican Party. He's interested in what can advance his own personal agenda and his own personal interests. He's made that abundantly clear. And those of us who believe in Republican values of governance find it abhorrent how the president has conducted himself. How do you, I'm going to go to you in just a moment, Kent. How do you review uh, and analyze what happened in 2016 when Donald Trump ran uh, against all the, the rest of that field, all of whom probably agreed with you and you may have agreed with many of them? They were traditional conservative Republicans, and they could not stop Donald Trump. And the, and, the, and the party voters, they overwhelmingly rejected the type of republicanism that you're talking about, David. 
I, I think that's that analysis is absolutely correct. Donald Trump yeah. figured out very brilliantly, in my opinion, yes. how to use the tools of populism to elect himself to the highest office in the land yeah. by appealing to people's dissatisfaction with the status quo. He ran as an outsider. The problem he has this time is he has a track record for people to look at and to evaluate. And it hasn't been a good one. We've abandoned. We'll disagree. We've abandoned. I mean, for example, following the end of World War II, the United States of America took a leadership role in establishing multilateral, multinational institutions to provide uh, post-World War II and Cold War stability. And Donald Donald Trump has been on a nonstop attack on all those institutions, including the United Nations and and NATO. But, all, but, but David, a lot, a, lot of, a lot of people disagree with you on that. Uh, Kent, yeah. uh, Kent, go back to you. Uh, you're, it's your turn. Well, a couple of things. I've actually been in a room while, while Donald Trump was, was doing a tweet. And here's what I think he does. He's got a pocket full of ideas he always keeps in his back pocket. And if something major is going on that he doesn't like that's, that's driving the news in a day, he pulls one of those out, pulls the pin, he throws it. And we see what happens. And they're all talking about him usually and not talking well, about a 32% decrease in the GDP that nobody understands. Well, the story about, uh, anyway. the, the, story so the, about the, the, the story about the president is that he's frequently tweeting when he's on the bathroom. So maybe he's pulling these <laughs> ideas from someplace else. Back short. Oh, I'm on your show right now from my Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back in uh, the beautiful city of Evanston, Illinois. 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. This uh, moment, we are going to take a moment and let each of our guests uh, tell a little bit about themselves and introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with Kent Gray. Kent, go ahead. Well, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. I'm calling in from Springfield, uh, Illinois tonight, uh, my hometown. But I know Bruce from many years ago from being in Chicago and going to undergrad at Loyola. I've worked on eight presidential campaigns over my lifetime, uh, all establishment except Donald Trump in 2015 and 16. It's been an interesting five years. Mike Miller. I'm an economist originally from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I got my Ph.D. at the University of Pittsburgh in 1980 and have been teaching at DePaul um, teaching young minds the economic way of thinking for the past 40 years. David Cohn. Thanks, Bruce, and great to be on the show again. Uh, I've been the Director of Public Affairs of the Union League Club of Chicago for the last 15 years, as you mentioned. Uh, prior to that, I spent my uh, uh, most of my adult career working in government service. I was the uh, press secretary and campaign manager for uh, Congressman John Porter, who represented Illinois' 10th district for many years. 
Uh, and after he retired, I went to work for Lieutenant Governor Corinne Wood, uh, Lieutenant Governor of Illinois as her director of communications and uh, started out in Chicago radio as a stringer for WBBM and uh, up north at uh, WKRS and WXLC in Waukee. So Very that's, good. That's so, so you've got radio in your blood. Radio yeah. in your blood. Uh, we have a caller or a, a texter came in here and they wanted to know uh, uh, who you voted for in 2012, Dave, since you were talking about that you've been uh, voting for Democrats for a while. They want to know how far that goes back. I, I didn't say I was voting for Democrats. I said I did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. Okay. okay. Do you want to say who you voted for in 2012? In, in, two, in 2012, I voted Republican. Okay. So you voted for Mitt Romney. I did. All right. And did you vote for Obama <laughs> the first time around? I did, too. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, people just wanted to know, they uh, they also want to know, what is it about Joe Biden that you like so much? And then we're going to go to calls. Dave, you like Dave, Joe Biden? Dave, really? Uh, I, I'm, my, my, feelings about, my feelings about Donald Trump should not be construed as an endorsement of Joe, of, uh, Joe Biden. Okay. Uh, Biden has uh, baggage, and he has, I, I have many, many ideological differences with Joe Biden and with the, the Democratic Party and, and its left wing. You know, as some Lincoln Republicans said, if your house is on fire, you don't particularly care who the fireman is. Uh, it, just because we don't see Donald Trump as a viable standard bearer for the Republican Party, does not mean that we're big fans of Joe Biden. We just see that the future of constitutional government is at stake here, and we need to do something to, pr- to preserve it. Okay. But it's important to have a fireman who can find your house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go and to you're assuming board. that a Democrat would be more protective of the Constitution no, than a well, Republican, I, I, and I don't I believe that this. for one second. I will say this. I think that I'm alone in this panel in having actually worked in the Congress and on Capitol Hill for most of my adult life. And from what I saw, the dynamics of power do not permit the White House, no matter who the occupant is, to dictate an ideological agenda. The Congress is there. Our system of checks and balances works. And I don't believe the fear mongering about what might become under a Biden presidency. His policies are not my policies, but his adherence to constitutional norms are something that I could look at and and, and view in a favorable light. I think the Mm. problem here is we have a president who has abandoned Donald Trump, the values and the pillars of the Republican Party and the Republican philosophy as I grew up in the party. It does not represent the values of Republican philosophy that I uh, acquired, um, you know, as someone young getting involved in politics. Let's go to calls. Let's go to Rodney, who's listening to us in Oklahoma tonight. Go ahead, Rodney. Um, well, thank you, Bruce. A very interesting conversation. Thank you. Um, I'm an independent. Um, thank you. I'm an independent, and I live in the suburbs, uh, and uh, I may be a little left-leaning, but I am, have voted for a lot of Republicans. I just like, like most people that decide the election, people in the middle, independents, um, you know, I like the more moderate tone in especially a president. Now, here's the problem that I see when we elect a party or a president. They always misread the election and think we voted for every damn thing they want. Um, and the reason Donald Trump luckily won the election because he did not win the popular uh, vote was, I believe, the trade issue. 
the American people, the people like me in the middle, we didn't sign up for everything else that went along with that. Um, we didn't sign up for the, the incompetence of running the government. We didn't sign up for this reality show that we have seen. And no matter what, and we didn't sign up for the destruction of international trade. And no matter what, the, re, the people who support Donald Trump at the moment, the decision has been made. Look at the numbers. I've never seen numbers like this, and I'm a political junkie. And um, the decision's been made. It's all over with the crime. And, and, um, let's let's let Rodney, Rodney do me a favor. Take take a breath now. Uh, let's go to uh, Mike Miller okay. to respond to what you, you said I, thus far. I I hear what you're saying, and and uh, trade was one of the major reasons I did not vote for Mr. Trump last time. I was not necessarily a, a fan uh, of his uh, economic policy, but you did bring up being a, a moderate and. One thing that made Bill Clinton, for example, a very effective president, even though he is a sexual predator, was he's a he's a moderate. Uh, and, and, and even in some sense, Barack Obama, compared to what we have, uh, it appears to be the case with Joe Biden, would be considered a moderate. I think Joe Biden has embraced almost everything that the left has thrown at him. And this is going to be a disaster. I, I again, it, Donald Trump is not the kind of guy I wish that he were. Um, but in terms of the policies, if you give me two choices, a choice between a radical left and somebody like Trump, it's kind of in the middle to the right. I'll take the middle to the right every single time. Okay. We're going to move on to Roger. Go ahead. You're on the air, Roger. Where are you calling from? Hello, Roger. Are you there? Line yes. I'm, All right, let's go to Paul on line three. Are you there, Paul? What's happening to our calls, folks? Paul, are you there? I'm here. This is Roger. Once, going twice, sold. Okay. On the subject, uh, also a subject that has come up, uh, the, the president hinted uh, the other day, and because the, the media ran with it almost for three days now, and that is what happens if uh, the election is postponed he doesn't the president does not have the ability to do that everyone said that and yet it dominated news for for way too long but the question that was asked uh, a, a couple of weeks ago by my uh, by uh, chris wallace was are you going to automatically accept the results of the election and donald trump said uh, no and he said he didn't do it four years ago and i'm wondering uh, mike uh, why would any candidate automatically say they're going to accept the results of the election if they cannot uh, foresee that there may be some skullduggery out in the body politic on election day and uh, they may have to have some legal challenges where votes I, may be uh, in question. I, I think that that's perfect and it's within his right to do so. Again, it's not something I would do, but let's keep in mind, of course, that uh, Hillary Clinton said, of course, I will accept the the. Uh, uh, the outcome of the election, and they have spent the past three and a half years being the resistance to try to throw the man out of office. It started from practically his very first day, invoking the crazy Russian scheme, which we all know now was uh, cooked up by the Obama administration and was a, a complete farce from beginning to end. And so I, you, and consider as well, this is a man, you, must, you have to give him credit for being 
still as popular as he is, given that he has had the entire press against him. The amount of negative versus positive reporting on anything that happens, what is it, 90% is negative. No other president even comes close. And the fact that he would still have the kind of support in the public, in spite of everybody, in the universities, in the, in the media, in, in, uh, in the press, in Hollywood, going after him. It's, it's just astounding that he's doing as well as he is. David, and it's I wanna, because I, I wanna, he touches people. I he really get does. David's, I want to get David's response to that. David, would you acknowledge, and you were not a fan of his, so you didn't vote for him, but would you acknowledge as being an, an intelligent young man that, that he has not been treated fairly? He's given the news media a lot of fodder, but he really has not been treated fairly by the mainstream media. Would you acknowledge that? I think as a general principle that that's, that's a fair statement because uh, the, the president's, I'll say the president's behavior has invited uh, a lot of the critis- critical coverage that you see. But having said that, if you take a look at, let's take, for example, CNN, which not too long ago was in terms of its overall presentation, a pretty middle, middle of the road, straightforward news organization. And when you watch coverage uh, these days on CNN, uh, just to your point, um, the the distaste and the dislike of the president literally oozes off of the anchors. Yeah. Um, I mean, much the yeah. same, as, but much the same as the Fox anchors ooze. No, it, I don't it's, see it's, it's not the same. It's yeah. not the same. Uh, it's, it's and the it's same. also it's the difference between the commentators like Tucker and so forth versus Brett Baer, which is straight news. The, the, the CNN people right. say that they're straight news and they are not straight news. That's nonsense. I, I believe there was a study done some years back. They wanted to find out which networks have the, the truly the straight news people, how you know they play it down the middle. NPR was one of them. And I was not surprised at that. You know what the second one was? It was Fox. It was because of people like Brett Baer and so forth. And, right. and, and Catherine Harridge, they play it down We've the middle. We've got to be shortly back shortly. Later. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining. And before we go back to calls, I just want to take a, a moment of personal privilege here to uh, uh, wish uh, the best of luck to our departing producer this evening. Andrew Marshall has been with us oh. for about 15 months, and he is off to Hofstra University. He joined us as a senior in high school, and he, he is... He has a maturity behind his, be, uh, beyond his age, and he's done a terrific job in producing this show and helping me put it together each and every Sunday night. So we wish him a lot of luck, and I know he'll be a network president someday, and he 
promised to hire me in my old age, but then I remembered I'm already in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Paul. Hopefully he's back on the line, and he's calling from uh, Racine, Wisconsin, which is one of the nicest areas of the United States. If you've never been to Racine in Kenosha, Wisconsin, go ahead, Paul. Okay, Bruce, can you hear me okay? I can, yes. Go ahead. Okay. I just want to address this to David. Um, David, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you, you worked in Congress, right? You've worked for John McCain's campaign? No, no. I worked for a member of Congress from Illinois. Okay. I dare say, David, that that's part of the problem with your line of thinking, and let me explain. You know, one of the things that you like to talk about, and so many of what I would consider, and if I'm labeling you incorrectly, please forgive me, the never-Trumpers are, is that they look at this a pie-in-the-sky conservatism um, that at one point we used to have, but we no longer have, right? And I dare say that that's part of the problem. I agree with you that fiscally conserv- we should be fiscally conservative, but the problem with that, nobody in, in, on the Republican side does that anymore, and President Trump is the only one who's had the courage to come out and try to change some of these things, um, a.k.a. the tax cut. Had it not been for one of your buddies, John McCain, we would have totally repealed Obamacare, but that didn't happen because of people like John McCain, who you say you support it. So don't give me this um, talk about how, well, you know, we've got to get back to fiscal conservatism, and Donald Trump's not the guy to do it. I would argue that what's coming after this pandemic ends He's probably the only one on both sides of the aisle who will have the courage to make the radical changes necessary to get us back to where we need to be. And then, and only then, can we work on this um, fiscal conservatism that you so like to espouse but doesn't happen in the Republican Party. Well, it it doesn't happen in the president's budgets either. Uh, The president has proposed spending billions of dollars in, in spending that... Frankly, uh, there's no one asking for these funds to be expended. For example, the construction of an unnecessary uh, billions of dollars for a new FBI building um, and all kinds of other things. And frankly, the tax cut package, which, as uh, you note, uh, you know, went into effect, that had the effect. And I turned to our my fellow panelists, our economists, it had the effect of exploding the federal deficit and adding trillions to the federal debt, the accumulated debt. Uh, the return on investment there, that is not con- fiscally conservative economic policy. So I, I, I hear where you're coming from. I think Donald Trump spoke to a lot of people who saw the current political system in America and saw that it was failing them, Republicans and Democrats. And they wanted to give this guy a chance, this outsider. He has squandered that with insufficient leadership for the moment. The uh, budget deficit did not yeah, explode fun, because of the tax cut for corporations. Corporation, uh, the income from corporation taxes is less than 10% of the total uh, income for the federal government tax revenues. Uh, uh, let's be true conservatives then. We would embrace the idea of Milton Friedman. There should be no corporate income tax because corporations don't pay taxes. They remit taxes. The taxes should be paid by the people who earn the money from the corporations. Do we have a I politi- would be completely do, in favor of that. Do we have a political perception right now that will become reality to a lot of people? especially those that have been getting $600 a week in, in unemployment, 
when uh, when the Democrats and Republicans can't agree on the new stimulus package, are the Democrats going to be able to make the case that they're the ones that are out there fighting for $600 and the Republicans and their leadership are going to be uh, left looking like they don't have a plan? And again, a lot of people are going to look at $600 or $200 or, or no support, and that's going to be an easy decision for them to make. They're going to go for the Democrats. Is that an issue that that concerns you, uh, uh, Kent? Yeah, I mean, it does concern me because the Democrats will give away anything and any amount yeah, of money right. to, to blow right. the budget. I mean, they don't care. Right. $600, $1,000, everybody gets care. a ventilator in their driveway. I mean, everybody yeah. can have anything they want. And so the problem we run into is Republicans can never up that auction on how much money you can give out of the federal dole. Uh, to be honest, right now, I think the Republicans are talking about extending the 600 uh, temporarily or at least putting in maybe a 200 yeah. or $400 thing. And the Democrats have basically said, we're not going to do anything. Now, the media is not going to tell the, the general public that. The Democrats are the ones who are holding no. this up on people and, who need and, it week and, you to know, week. This is a perfect example of when I say that the president is not truly a Republican. You look at the Republican leadership in the Congress that's trying to craft and engage in the art of compromise, which is inherent in our system, our constitutional republic. They're being undercut, cut off at the knees by their own president. It was President Trump who has now taken the position that the $600 additional federal money for unemployment should be extended, leaving Mitch McConnell and those in Republican leadership having to fight against their own president because they're trying to maintain some sense of fiscal sobriety. So there's a guy who puts himself and his only election prospects in front of the interests of the party and sound governance. That's well, an example. I, I would argue that both the, both the Republicans in Congress and the president are actually paying attention to what people need on the ground out in the country. It's the Democrats who are saying zero until we get exactly what we want in huge spending. There's but a, I would point there's out, a lot you know, of, there's a lot Trump of people. There's a lot of people out there, unfortunately. Uh, uh, Kent, that all they see is they see a one party waving a six hundred dollar uh, check in front of them, and they may not they may not think about the fiscal uh, in- instability of that idea because it was a bad idea, wasn't thought out the first time, and it certainly isn't being thought out this time, except as a as a uh, a very important uh, you know card to play. Uh, in the legislative battle that's going on right now. And again, uh, uh, it's bad It's bad economics. It may be good politics. Our thanks to Kent Gray and Mike Miller and David Cohen in hour number one. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with another full hour. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games, but I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours 
that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont, we continue on hour number two of Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Nice to have you with us as we continue. In hour number two, we're going to switch gears. We're not just talking to Republicans and about Republicans in this hour. We're going to talk about the broader election coming up. And uh, joining us, uh, we have uh, Ray Lopez. He is a Chicago alderman from the 15th Ward. He's also the Democratic committeeman of that ward in the in the city of Chicago. We have Bill Nygut, who's a veteran reporter and talk show host for Georgia Public Radio and NPR, and an old friend uh, of yours truly. And also Chris Roebling, who is a political commentator and a lifelong, uh, not a lifelong Republican. You were grew up in a Democratic household, but switched many, many years ago. So that is our group for this hour. And I want to begin by talking about... Uh, what has become sort of a controversial issue. The president last week suggested that the uh, the election day might be delayed. Of course, he can't do that. That's not going to happen. Don't spend any more uh, time thinking about that. But again, it brings up the issue because he is vehemently opposed to mail-in voting because he doesn't think that uh, it can be done fairly and squarely. And uh, I want to begin with you, uh, Ray Lopez. Uh, you know how voting happens in the county of Cook. Uh, uh, do you have a position, uh, one way or the other, on, on mail-in voting and whether or not it is more likely to be susceptible to fraud, which uh, we know quite a bit about in Cook County? Well, you know, in Chicago, they say vote early and vote often. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to let that that bias me today. But I do think that there is some value to mail-in ballots. We'd use it now for absentee voting for individuals who can't make it to the polls. And we've seen some great successes in other cities before all of the craziness of COVID-19, where we have been able to perfect the technique 
to try and limit the amount of fraud possible um, without any kind of national standard or required national ID on election day. I would actually be hard pressed to say that it's safer to do mail in than it is actually to do voting on election day in person. Okay. Uh, Chris Roebling, uh, to you, would it be simpler for the president to just uh, use his power and influence to push for extensive absentee validating, which is an important part of the uh, Republican, uh, you know, uh, electoral, you know, uh, playbook for decades now? Well, I think it's important for every public official to make sure that only eligible people vote, number one. And number two, that they vote only once. So we want to have as close as possible to full participation. But we are a free country. And unlike Australia, you know, you can choose not to vote. Um, To your question, Bruce, I agree. I think that presidents, governors, U.S. senators, uh, alder people like like, uh, Alderman uh, Lopez, everybody should be encouraging folks to vote within a system. And the problem with imposing, and I say this as a former commissioner of elections in the city of Chicago, problem with imposing any global change on such short notice is that it's not reconciled to the existing system. And when you have live ballots leave the possession of the election administrator, you're just asking for trouble And I think all candidates, Democrat, Republican, socialist, um, left-wing lunatics, everybody should be very concerned about live ballots outside of the possession and control of an election administrator, especially when that's being imposed. Good. I want to come back to that. I also want to welcome uh, Bill Nygut. Bill Nygut is a a fixture, a longtime observer of politics in the great state of Georgia. Uh, He's with uh, public broadcasting and also with NPR down there. We're going to talk a little bit more about your career later on. But but Bill, as someone uh, that you cover Georgia, I mean, Georgia has been pointed out in recent uh, months as a place where things didn't go right. On, on election day. So the, the well, problems you know, that you had there, I mean, could they have been avoided? And if so, how? Well, first of all, let me speak to the absentee ballot question. Um, it's interesting. We, we finally had our uh, primary election on June 9th. It had been delayed since March because of coronavirus. So even as President Trump in the uh, early spring was launching his offensive against mail-in votes, absentee votes, the very conservative Republican Secretary of State of Georgia decided that he would send absentee ballot requests, requests, and that's an important distinction here, to every registered voter in the state. So some 7 million plus requests for absentee ballots went out. Now, you know, as Chris says, people could choose to uh, send it back and ask for a ballot or decide to vote in person. But the point is, so we have a Republican who is encouraging people to vote absentee to avoid problems on election day. And uh, some two million plus people did, in fact, file absentee ballots. There is no so far has been no uh, accusation of any kind of irregularities uh, in terms of that uh, vote. It is interesting, however, that as we have an August runoff and, of course, a November election and the secretary of state is not going to send absentee ballot requests out to all registered voters. Mm -hmm. 
But he says it has nothing to do with whether he thinks there's fraud or not. It's that it's just incredibly costly and he doesn't have the budget for it. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that could have been done? I mean, because we have, you know, we've got, you know, only a little over 90 days to Election Day in the rest of the country. But is there anything realistically that could be done to beef up the ability uh, for in-person voting? Or is the fear of COVID-19 so great and so widespread that maybe there shouldn't be too much effort into trying to, you know, prepare for yesterday's way of voting? I'll ask you that question first, Bill. We had an enormous turnout of in-person voting on the June 9th primary. It's what led to some of the problems we had in Mm -hmm. higher population counties like Fulton, which is the city of Atlanta and the area immediately around the city. Uh, DeKalb County, which is just to the northeast of the city, heavily populated counties. People were waiting in line. In some cases, polling places didn't close till midnight. Um, We had... uh, New election workers who were not as well trained. We had brand new election computers for this election, which complicated many other issues, including that poll workers, who, as you know, are usually older uh, people who mm-hmm. want to take on that job, didn't want to come to polling places, not just in Georgia, but in many states. Right. We had inexperienced poll workers. We had new computers. And frankly, we had a secretary of state again who did not do as comprehensive a job of training people in how to use the new equipment in uh, and helping voters understand the new equipment. They're working pretty diligently now to assure we don't have problems like that again in November. Uh, back to you, Ray. Uh, what's the simplest uh, uh, way in your mind to have honest elections? I think first and foremost, we have to start seeing how much, how many activities we want to do on election day in many States. And indeed uh, Illinois here, you have, you know, election polling places that can do same day registration, they could change your address and all this other stuff with the computer technology, in addition to accepting spoiled absentee ballots, as well as the in-person voting of the day. And I think we really need to pare it down to try and keep this as simple as possible at the moment. In this moment, you know, I think it's a failure of both the Democrats and Republicans to not adequately prepare for this election come November because we've had almost all summer wasted having no discussion and no tangible resources put to creating safe elections come November. November. No, I I agree with that. I would even expand it out that we've had four years to get it right, and we still don't have it right. I want to hear from Chris Roebling when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 
Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. There are 29 states that have some form of absentee balloting. There are five states that have uh, basically all mail-in voting. Uh, there have been no problems in those states uh, in recent years, which uh, uh, is frequently mentioned by the Democrats. However, recently in the state of New York, one of their congressional races, the 12th Congressional of New York, uh, they currently have, they don't know who won that primary. It was uh, in late June. They have 20,000 absentee ballots that have not yet been counted. And the leader in that uh, race, uh, Congresswoman uh, Maloney, uh, she is leading by about 640 votes. So that still is up in the air. So uh, for those people who are looking for places to uh, demonstrate where mail-in balloting or absentee balloting doesn't work very well, they don't have to look back uh, very far uh, because it's going on literally right now in the city of New York uh, in the 12th Congressional District. Uh, Chris Roebling, you did mention that uh, once upon a time you were head of the the Cook County Board or you were commissioner on the Cook County Board of Election Commissions. So one of the questions I would ask of you, and again, it's always bothered me, is why is it that those people who are voting by absentee, and I think in recent cases we know by mail, why is it that their deadline is being in the polling place on election day? Why do they not have a deadline three or four days before election day so their votes are the first counted, not the last counted? Uh, it's because in Chicago, we operate with a precinct, not a central count. That's the kind of distinct. In fact, I had to make this distinction to a young state senator once whose name is, was Barack Obama. He had submitted a bill in the legislature of Illinois that caused, called for changes in the electoral system. And I had to explain to him, it came from some friend of his in California, I had to say, you know, uh, uh, Senator Obama, the L.A. County and much of California operates on a central count. He said, oh, what's that? And I had to go through the whole drill. So the answer, I think, Bruce, two quick points. On a precinct count, you get a tape the night of the election from the precinct. OK, and that's, as you recall, that's how precinct captains went back to their ward committeemen, of whom we have one on the phone here tonight said, I met my goal. I was supposed to get 300 votes for Smith. We got 300 votes for Smith. I met my goal. And then that would mean he would get a nice fruit basket at Christmas, no, if you know what I'm job. saying. He'd keep his job. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the, the precinct count gives integrity to the entire electoral system because it's right there in your neighborhood the night of the election. Uh, now, that's not to say that there aren't changes and there isn't a, a, a last minute. There aren't accounts, in the la- maybe even a couple of days after the election, down at the board office. With respect to what you're talking about in New York, that's an outrage. It's an outrage and it's a deprivation of the right, not just of the candidates, not just of their nominating parties, not just of the people who nominated them, but also of every voter in that election. And this is this is a terrific example of what happens you mentioned the states where we have a lot of mail-in voting, okay. and yep. it's going well. That's because those states consciously chose mail-in voting, and they spliced it right. into their system. Right. And with appropriate safeguards, it can work fine. And they did it, when and you they've done it for decades. it from above, so. it's a recipe for uh, disaster. Ray, I want to get your comment uh, to react to what Chris has said, and then I want to bring uh, Bill back into the conversation. 
Well, I just want to say that in Chicago, at least, I know that you have up until two weeks, 14 days after the election to get a ballot in to have it counted. So you can see. That's ridiculous. Why? What's what's the rationale for that in your view, Ray? That absolutely makes no sense. Well, the law law says that if you have it postmarked by by 7 p.m. election day, that it will count towards the official count. Uh, as long as it gets to the uh, border, has anyone has anyone considered has anyone considered changing that law to make the deadline one no. week earlier? Wait. Just Bruce, one week. Bruce, hold on. Excuse me, Alderman. Let me just say, for a hundred years, we required uh, absentee ballots to be into the precinct on the day of the election. Before 7 p.m., what the what the good alderman is reporting to you is a so-called reform. And in fact, it's anything but a reform. It was a one party mandate or diktat that was imposed on the city of Chicago and on every voter who takes part in these elections. By the way, for next week, uh, Chris, it's your uh, I'm going to assign this to you. Give me the name of the person that came up with that idea. It was a bad idea. Even Michael Madigan. Michael, Michael Matt, I've heard Madigan. of him. I've heard of him. His name is in the papers Big all the surprise. time. Let's go. To, let's <laughs> let's let's go back to uh, again. He is the uh, uh, longest-serving uh, speaker of the United States, uh, and also he is currently under a cloud, a federal cloud uh, of uh, allegations. He has denied all allegations, as everybody does. But again, uh, he is under a cloud right at the moment. Uh, Bill Nygut, go, going back to you, we're we're going to move on now from uh, uh, the uh, the the important issue of voting, and I just. I just wish that uh, we could have more uh, discussions like this on a national level because it would seem to me that if you put five, if you put ten smart people in the room, even if they were equally divided between parties, you should come up with some procedures that could be agreed upon. And uh, there could we don't want to we don't want a federal election, but again, it would be good recommendations for those twenty plus states that uh, are weighing in on as to how they may affect this. But I think the idea, uh, my point would be, is uh, I'm not opposed to mail-in voting per se. I just don't think we have enough time to get all the ducks lined up in a row and think about it. Uh, before uh, the next election in four years from now, I would uh, oppose it uh, for this election. But let's let's talk about something else. First of all, you've covered uh, Georgia politics like a blanket for the last uh, twenty plus years, and I guess my question to you, Bill, uh, right off the bat, is uh, what is your take at the moment as to who might be leading for? Uh, the privilege of running with Joe Biden a couple of weeks ago. Uh, certainly the name of Stacey Abrams was up there for a couple of months, and then she seems to have taken herself out with her maybe her campaigning, and uh, Mayor uh, Bottoms of uh, of uh, Atlanta was up there for a while. But uh, handicap where you think the, uh, the Veep stakes are at the moment. So, in other words, the most impossible job in reporting, <laughs> trying to figure out who a vice presidential candidate is going to be, you want to start with me. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's your job. <laughs> um, yeah, you're, I think you uh, accurately described the fact that Stacey Abrams, who was, as we all know, actively uh, lobbying for that job, um, has seems to have fallen off of the radar of the Biden uh, folks, perhaps in part because the highest office she's held was as a state legislator. Uh, she was the, uh, you know, the chair of the, of the Democratic 
uh, caucus in the in the Georgia House, but that's as far as she had gone until she ran for governor. So she seems to have fallen off the map in that respect. And in fact, I heard her today on one of the news shows uh, when she was asked that question. She really backed away from it in a way that she hadn't. In the, but, you know, in the past, asked if she thought she was a candidate, she would be more than happy to present her credentials. She backed away from that today. Mm-hmm. Keisha Wentzbottoms, I think, is in a somewhat similar position. I do think that She's received great national attention, much of it very positive in the past couple months. Uh, but again, um, she's the mayor of a city and a relatively new mayor. And I think it's pretty clear now that the shortlist, uh, you know, whether it's Susan Rice, uh, whether it's Karen Bass, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Kamala Harris, the, the Biden folks seem to be looking for someone with more experience in, in governing, is my sense of it. Mm-hmm. Ray Lopez, uh, you're a Democratic committee one, uh, as I mentioned. I, I, I would doubt that any one of those vice presidential candidates is going to uh, increase many votes for Joe Biden in your neighborhood, which is uh, a combination of Latino and African-American. But uh, is there a name that pops out uh, uh, as someone who's impressed uh, you? Well, I can confirm only one name that won't be in contention, and that is my own. I will not be running for vice president of the United States of America. You do get police protection, though, right? Or it's the pity. But but I don't think any of those individuals are are known well enough. You know, I think, you know, for Stacey Abrams, you know, uh, the point was made about her lack of office. And you see a lot of the individuals who are being considered now from the national stage have not been there very long at that level, you know not to try and put a, a plug in for our own senator, but, you know, Tammy Duckworth, who's also being considered mm-hmm. as a United States senator, but she also served in the House, I think, for three or four terms, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So she has more experience, I think, at the federal level. But again, you know, I think it's a problem with both parties where that bench is so weak that they have not done a great job of trying to solidify the next generation. And as we see, um, especially Wait. with Biden, there's not a lot of choices to choose from. When you when you look at at the decision here, and I think this is one of the more consequential uh, selections. First of all, it's the first decision Joe Biden will make, and I'm sure that uh, you know John McCain would like to have his first you know selection back. Uh, but uh, it's also uh, because of his age, uh, it's already basically agreed that he's not going to run again. So he's a lame duck president. And when you have a lame duck president, whoever you have selected as number two, at least has some wind at their back about being a potential president of the United States at some point in the future. And you have to kind of watch how they use their time to jockey for that position uh, as you wait to to move on. But the question that I would ask, because there's been so much pressure, that it has to be a woman. And in recent months, it has to be a, a minority woman. Uh, and the pressure has been on selecting uh, primarily an African-American, but we don't know yet whether that's the final decision. My question to you as a leader of the, uh, the Hispanic uh, political operation in Chicago, what does that do to the future of presidential aspirations for Hispanics? Are they completely ignored by Joe Biden with the decision that is coming up? Back shortly. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. 
So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back, and we continue with our guests, and we're going to take a moment now to let each of them introduce themselves more fully to our national audience, and we begin with Ray Lopez. Everybody in Chicago knows who you are, Ray, but tell everybody around the country. Uh, thank you, Bruce. I'm Raymond Lopez. I'm a member of the Chicago City Council representing the 15th Ward on the city's southwest side. Some of the most historic neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, from Bank of the Yards, West Englewood, Brighton Park, and Gage Park. And some of many of who your viewers might know is someone who has quite the uh, colorful vocabulary when dealing with the mayor of the city right. of Chicago. Fox News made you very, very well known with a uh, because of that uh, profane laden conversation you had with Mayor Lightfoot. <laughs> uh, by the way, that you, you've also uh, emerged as the principal uh, opponent of Mayor Lightfoot in a lot of the things that she has done. You were also the most outspoken member uh, of the Chicago City Council on the uh, the gang violence that permeates not only your ward and neighborhood, but other parts of the city. And you have been victimized because of that. Uh, there have been smashed windows at your campaign office on several occasions. And uh, a quick question, because uh, uh, that one incident happened just a few days ago. Briefly describe to our audience uh, what's being done frankly, to protect you personally and your ward office uh, as a result of the acts of violence against uh, uh, your office? So I'm actually one of the uh, the few aldermen who's not one of those uh, crazy Latinos uh, calling for social upheaval. And I believe that people, gangs have to be dealt with. And three times this month, both my home as well as my office twice have been vandalized by gang members from the neighborhood who think that they're going to maintain their superiority uh, despite my efforts. But we'll continue to press on. Police are now finally stationed in front of my house to kind of tamper down some of uh, their activity. Um, but the best way is not to have a detail. It's to bring them to the courthouse and have them jailed permanently. Okay. Uh, good luck. Stay safe. Bill Nygut uh, joins us. Bill, tell everybody a little bit about your uh, background and your illustrious career in the great state of Georgia. Well, I mean, the very first thing I have to say, Bruce, is that you and I, well, we had early career days together way back in around we 1972, did. 73, working in radio together in the very same, I think, place where you are tonight. Is that right? That is exactly right. Uh, <laughs> back in the, uh, I want to say, 1973, uh, I did a daily program. You followed me every day at noon. And we did that show literally right from this very room where I am this evening, uh, 1590 on the AM dial. It was a WLTD there. It's now WCGO. But you went on to great uh, uh, fame and uh, hopefully some fortune uh, when you moved to Georgia. What happened there? I, I, I was uh, I, I came to, to uh, Atlanta 
1983, uh, WSB-TV, which is a Cox TV station, their flagship station, asked me to come down and cover state and uh, what was more exciting to me, national politics. So for WSB, I covered five presidential campaigns, traveled pretty extensively with candidates around the country, and then would cover um, Washington, cover uh, Capitol Hill, cover the White House when uh, we really needed to be up there. So I did that for uh, 20 years. Uh, um, I got out of the business for a while and now do this daily uh, panel discussion show called Political Rewind on the Georgia State NPR Network. We're an 18-station network, and every day have panels of um, uh, political consultants, political scientists, uh, historians talking about news and perspective, and a variety of other people. And uh, it's been a, it's been a great experience of to, like you, Bruce, to have this much time to talk about politics is really very very satisfying. I, I look forward to it. It's the best two hours of my week. And again, uh, we recently celebrated the 40th anniversary of this show. I think you were on way back when in the early days of the show uh, when you were still hanging around Chicago. But again, uh, congratulations on on your success. I do want to ask one follow up question. Is Georgia, in your opinion, a toss-up state for November? Um, You know, for a long time, people in Georgia have said it was a purple state, and it keeps waiting to happen. This time, if you look at the polling, the most recent round of polling from reputable pollsters, it appears more in play than it has in the past. Uh, 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 President Trump and Joe Biden seem to be Uh, running just about neck and neck here in almost all of the major polls, just as important in our in the race. uh, David Perdue, United States Senator David Perdue, running for reelection, his Democratic opponent, John Ossoff, is running right uh, uh, with him as well. It appears it could happen, but it's all going to be whatever election is who turns their voters out to the polls. And you have two U.S. Senate seats that are up right now, one. Because of the retirement, yeah. Yeah, yeah Purdue and Ossoff. Uh, Ossoff, obviously, right. the Democrat. And then we have uh, Kelly Leffler appointed to the United States Senate. Uh, when Johnny Isaacson retired from his seat, uh, Kelly Leffler running um, against a guy who the country got to know very well during impeachment and the judiciary hearings, Doug Collins. That race is really fascinating mm-hmm. as the two of them both uh, try to curry President Trump's favor and compete for who the most conservative uh, yep. Republican is. So those are both well, going to be really exciting it races. It sounds like you're going to get a lot of airtime in the next few months. This <laughs> Speaking of airtime, one last thing. Uh, this past week, I know it happened many years ago, but I was watching American Experience, the American Experience about the uh, political life and times of Bill Clinton, and uh, yes. y- you were in the B-roll. I saw you in the B-roll. <laughs> I got. I, I spent an enormous amount of time covering uh, Bill Clinton as a candidate. Traveled around the country mm-hmm. uh, with him. But by the way, I traveled a lot with George H. W. Bush in that election as well. But then followed uh, Clinton when he went into the White House, and uh, so did spend an enormous amount of time uh, with uh, President Clinton, as I had with Bush before him, and then mm-hmm. Bush after. Him. Okay, Chris Robling. Let's uh, take a few moments and tell everybody who you are. Uh, when they don't see you on this program at least once a month. Thank you. You're mentioning the 40th anniversary. This is my first appearance since your 40th anniversary program. Mm -hmm. Just want to say it's been a privilege of mine to be on the program for lo these 
35 years, yeah. Bruce. Been but that time. doesn't mean we're getting older. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it you know, yes, it does. <laughs> we go back go back to the fall of uh, 1985. I think that was my first appearance on a program called Inside Politics, right. one of the predecessors. And uh, we had a great time on Thursday evenings talking about Chicago politics. And um, it's been a real privilege uh, down through the decades uh, to join you as I have. And I thank you for the opportunity to do so. Very good. Let's go back to calls. Let's go to go Maxine. She's listening to us in Louisville, Colorado. Go ahead, Maxine. You're on the air. Hi, so um, two points. One quick point is that earlier you guys were discussing the uh, lack of any progress on election security. Uh-huh. I want to remind you that the very first bill, H.R. 1, that was introduced in the 2019 House was about election integrity and security. So I think it's, it's the Democrats have been on this for quite some time. Second of all, I, I have to comment about this because, honestly, I'm, it's been kind of shocking um, to listen to some of the things that I've been hearing, and particularly the comments that the Democratic vice presidential bench is so weak mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a problem. And I'm thinking to myself, that is the epitome of male privilege, right? Because it's all women, because people are talking about minorities. Let me remind you that Barack Obama had been a state senator and served a couple of years in the Senate before he was elected. There, there are quite a few women who are on that list who have far more experience governing and in policy than, than Obama has. So I think that you guys need to check your male privilege when you're talking about Women in politics. Maxine, Maxine, stay on the line. Maxine, stay on the line. Only one person made that comment, and I want to go to Ray Lopez and let him respond to your criticism. Ray? Well, I don't think that the criticism was geared at women candidates. I think it was geared towards the entire Democratic Party as a whole. That if you look at from one coast to the next, you know, we're not doing a lot to recruit and to build that bench to be the next generation of Democratic leaders. We're simply not. And anyone who thinks otherwise truly has not had the opportunity to look at the, the, the cast of characters that are that are out there as we speak. And that is not something that's unique to the Democratic Party either. It's a problem on both sides where you have individuals who have monopolized government for three, four decades without trying to bring up the next generation of leaders. Now, as far as the, 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 the chauvinistic comment or the male privilege comment, you know, yes, Barack Obama was not highly qualified at that time either, having been a state senator. And he was also discussed routinely about his lack of national profile or experience in those regards. So I think that's a healthy conversation to have especially following the heels of a presidency that is so oftentimes been viewed as chaotic in a country that's completely and utterly divided right now. You need to have someone who has both experience, but as well as that charismatic ability to reach across the aisle and to try to bring this country back together. You know, when you talk about... If I may, Bruce, yeah. I, I'd like to remind Maxine that when Obama was president and he tried desperately to, you know, sort of 
governed from the left in his first two years and failed, he lost the United States House of Representatives. A lot of very intelligent people who were making contributions to the Democratic Party were wiped out because of that. He went on and he allowed his administration to take the most leftward turn of any in our history. And the result was that we lost, the the Democrats lost 1,000 state legislators. I know you always like to go in the rearview mirror and talk about Barack Obama. When we come back, I want to come back to Ray Lopez in just a moment. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. Uh, Ray Lopez, I want to go to you and give you an opportunity to answer the question that I asked before the break uh, uh, in our last segment. And that is, uh, if if Joe Biden selects a running mate, that running mate is basically uh, in a path to run for president. And if he selects uh, an African-American woman, as it is expected that he will, what does that do to the aspirations of many Hispanics who may want to run for higher office someday. The problem that we've seen stems back to actually Hillary Clinton. When Hillary Clinton uh, was believed to be leaning towards one of the Castro brothers uh, as their as her vice presidential pick. Right. And I think it left a, a, a bit of a bitter taste in many Latinos' uh, political mouths that they had been overlooked then and that more than likely they're going to be overlooked yet again, despite how many overtures the Democratic Party's uh, political mainstays keep making to show that they are supportive. But I just want to caution one thing, Bruce, and this goes towards uh, the fact that I've represented both African-Americans and Latinos. And it said, you need someone who can relate to the experience and not just relate to the skin color uh, to be someone that attracts minority voters. And I think one of the things that when it comes particularly like to Kamala Harris is that she's trying to transform herself from when she bragged about being California's top cop to now being the reformer, uh, the, the lead reformer on police uh, accountability. So I think we have to make sure that our we're matching the demographic, but also with the life experiences of that demographic if we're to have any hope of enlarging our tent here in 2020. Uh the name that we did not mention when we were running through possible running mates uh, was Val Demings of Florida. And I want to ask uh, Bill Nygut uh, to suggest, and he doesn't obviously have to agree with what I'm about to say, but my email post uh, about a week ago basically said that I thought she would be the strongest running mate with Joe Biden and and, and, and might have uh, 
might have the ability even to keep some Republicans in line because of her, her law enforcement background. Uh, your response. I, I think it's really interesting that you just say she might have some appeal to Republicans. Literally just last evening, I was talking to a former elected uh, Republican to state office, a high state office, and we were talking about the vice presidential choices that Biden may have. And this person said to me, Val Demings got has great credentials uh, for, for people who have uh, Republicans who are just not enthusiastic about Trump. She might be somebody who could attract Republicans mm-hmm. to the Biden uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right, Bruce. I mean, look, her law enforcement background is very strong and um, she would be a fascinating choice for uh, Joe Biden. The issue he's going to have, of course, is and I'd love to hear what your other mm-hmm. folks on the panel say. Um, right now, where there's so much talk in the Democratic Party about, I think, reforming the police more than uh, 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 eliminating police departments, th- that she she might be problematic in that sense, I think. Chris Roebling, uh, again, put your, your analyst hat on and, uh, and, and handicap uh, Val Demings as a political uh, commodity. Well, I, I think that Val Demings is... Uh, seems to be more honorable than some in the party, and no offense to our alderman and committeeman who joins us this evening, and present company, of course, excluded. Uh, she, she seems to be more honorable. She seems to have some great background and experience. But look, the, the, the vice president, this is the oddest vice presidential pick in history, and I'll tell you why. It's obvious that day by day, week by week, we are watching a decline in the faculties and capacities of Joe Biden. There's video brand new out with a 20-something staffer leading him through a bunch of report, a gaggle of reporters. And uh, Biden clearly does not know exactly where he is or what he's doing. He's being led and he comes up with a complete non sequitur quote. So this is a situation in which the Democrats have chosen to nominate the least bad candidate that they had to prevent Bernie Sanders. And there isn't a person between Maine and Hawaii or Florida and Alaska who thinks for one minute that Joe Biden is going to be acting as president. I mean, this, this is a, a party that is basically saying we've got our ideology that's coming first and take a look at the platform, the 80 pages of, inane leftist daydreams so does the, v- the, so the vp and does the does the you're suggesting then that the vp is going to have a a controlling factor of his mind no i think that the vp is frankly i'm going to side with alderman committeeman lopez this this vp crop doesn't have any standouts just like <laughs> the presidential campaign crop didn't have any standouts and that's why they ended up backing into Joe Biden because they had to stop Bernie Sanders. So what you're looking at here is a guy who is clearly impaired. He's only getting worse. And yet they don't have a VP of national stature. I mean, I really think if Jill Biden was patriotic, Jill Biden was patriotic, she would pull him into Milwaukee and they'd put Eric Holder in or somebody who is arguably presidential and who other people will think, oh, well, here is somebody male, female, black, white, rich, poor, doesn't matter, someone that other people in the country think 
will be okay. actually acting as president. All right, I want so to, I, I th- and We have less than a minute left, and I'm gonna. It's gonna go back to Bill Nygut. Bill, there's a lot of people around the country that have read all the hype about Stacey Abrams, who believes in her mind that she is the governor of Georgia, even though <laughs> she didn't win the election. Typical. How much is okay. there? How much is there that's real, in your opinion? Well, I mean, without regard to whether she's a Democrat or Republican, I will tell you that Stacey Abrams ran a gubernatorial campaign in which she very, very uh, forcefully reshaped how Democrats uh, look for candidates. She ran as a progressive in a state that has always has supported conservative Democrats, if they've supported them at all, and she came within 50,000 votes by rethinking the, the voting pool. And uh, she has always been an incredibly smart, savvy, political Did she win the election? Operative. Did so, she win the election, in your view? No, I mean, I think, no. I mean, clearly, uh, the, the, you know, Brian Kemp won more votes than she did. She would claim that there was voter suppression that kept her from winning. We're out of time. <laughs> We're out of time. Bill Nygut from Georgia Public Radio and NPR, thank you very much. Chris Roebling, thank you. And Ray mm-hmm. Lopez, thanks very much. And also hope? thanks to Andy Miles. Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. 
seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership.